Hi, Caleb. Hey, Mike. How are you? I am doing all right. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. It's a little cool and uh, a little rainy here in the Bay Area. It seems like we've been saying that the past few episodes, so it must be winter time. But um, yeah, yeah, doing pretty well. How about your, how, uh, what are you drinking tonight? <laughs> uh, well, since we are doing this in the afternoon, I am drinking a Samuel Adams Boston Lager, mm. um, a brewed beverage of the beer variety. Um, one, from I had, our East Coast. Yeah, I had one left over from the uh, six-pack that I bought for the Super Bowl a little while back, um, and I'm going to watch the Boston Bruins play ice hockey tonight, so I'm, it's a little bit on point with, yeah. uh, with my life as we record, not really so much of the episode itself. So, mm-hmm. you know, what are you going to do? How about you? What are you drinking? I'm trying a new cocktail tonight, uh, well, this afternoon. Um, it's called the Left Hand Cocktail. It is a fusion of a Manhattan and a... Um, Campari Negri- uh, Negroni. So, oh. yeah, it's got sweet vermouth, whiskey, uh, and um, Campari and cherries in it, and uh, chocolate bitters. Oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah. The chocolate mole bitters? Yep. Yeah, I bet that sounds pretty good. I might have to try that. It's pretty good. It definitely has the Negroni taste because of the um, Campari, but uh, I, do, I do like it a lot, and the chocolate bitters definitely add some more uh, deep, deep notes. So it's good. Complex. Mm-hmm. All right. So what would we like to talk about today? I thought we could talk about Lucid Motors. Um, they had a recent event uh, right before CES uh, a few months back in December where they unveiled their uh, first vehicle, uh, the Lucid Air. And uh, they then have in the past couple of weeks had some uh, showings here in uh, California, uh, Southern California specifically, showing the car to prospective buyers, giving test drives. And, you know, they're one of the new electric car companies uh, in the new ilk, uh, similar to a Faraday Future uh, and, and a few <laughs> others that are trying to... Is uh, anyone really similar to Faraday Future? Well, that's what we'll, that's what we'll uncover today uh, <laughs> and, and draw some parallels. All right, spoiler uh, alert, sorry. That's all right. And uh, yeah, I think we, we had some listeners who wanted to hear about them. We've had them as a topic on our own internal list of things to talk about, but um, the past few weeks has been a good instigator. So I thought we could talk about them uh, and dig in. So lots to cover. So it should be a good meaty, meaty episode. Yeah, yeah. So maybe we can start with like, who is, uh, is, is the name of the company Lucid or is that just the brand of the vehicle? So the company is now named Lucid. Uh, It used to be called Ativa. Um, So you may have seen some press for Ativa in the past. Yeah, I think I saw an ad that told me me to ask my doctor about Ativa. (laughs) That may have been why they needed to change the name. Um, So Ativa was what they started. And what's interesting is they've been around uh, for 10 years. Uh, So they got started in 2007. Uh, They're here in the Bay Area. They started in Menlo Park. Um, so one, one or two towns north of Palo Alto, I guess one. Right, right between us as we record this. That's true. Uh, and they have raised, so the, the public disclosure of funding they've raised is $130 million. So to break that out into the different series, um, so most of the time you raise money, you actually raise it in, in batches based on different milestones. So uh, the first two years they were self-funded. Uh, in 2009, they raised $7 million uh, from, from Venrock, um, which is a pretty great, uh, VC firm here. Um, and, uh, and then two years later they raised $24 million. So four X more. 
Uh, and then three years later in 2014, they raised $100 million. Um, and is all this is with no product? Yes. Wow. So this was all in stealth mode. Um, and then in 2015, they secured a nine-figure sum of private equity funding. And we are pretty sure this is actually from La Echo. Uh, which, if you remember, is actually the same investors as in Faraday Future. Mm -hmm. That's the Chinese uh, car company? Yes. Um, and they also have money from uh, Tingshua Holdings Corp., which is the private uh, investment arm of uh, Tishuang uh, University. Um, and then they also have investment from Beijing Auto International Capital, Bake, um, which produces around 2 million cars a year of a local uh, Chinese brand. So they do have a fair amount of Chinese um, investing uh, and Chinese investors uh, in, the, in the population. Um, so a couple hundred million dollars raised and they've just now shown off the vehicle. So once again, uh, building a car company is extremely capital intensive, <laughs> um, but they did note that they are not majority owned uh, by Chinese. So it, they make great aims to make sure people know they are a U.S. company and they intend to keep it that way. Uh, it's just that the Chinese have a very strong interest in, uh, in building up their car companies and technology and also electric cars. So um, lots, of, lots of cash and investing from, from China. So um, similar, similar kind of setup as Faraday Future. It doesn't sound like they are as controlled by the Leico founder. Um, it does seem like they have a bit more of their own autonomy uh, as it were as a company interesting so have they been working toward this uh particular car that we've seen revealed the whole time or have there been some twists and turns along the way yeah they've actually had some twists and turns so what's interesting is uh the founders of uh ativa now lucid uh one guy's uh named sang wang sam wang uh, he was in the 80s, he was a software guy at Xerox, uh, and then he was in marketing at Oracle, and then he was at two networking companies before he started Ativa. So no automotive experience, but sort of the operator type person. And the was other, he, was yeah, sorry. Xer was, sorry, was that Xerox Park or Xerox no, in general? just okay. Xerox in general. Um, when the, but the other founder, Bernard C., uh, actually uh, was one of the founders of a company in the 1980s doing thin computing. Uh, and that was then sold to Dell in 2012. And he was on the Tesla board from 2003 to 2007. Oh, interesting. Um, and he's actually, he was good friends with Martin Eberhard, who was one of the founders of Tesla. And he was actually tasked with creating Tesla Energy um, in the 2006, 2007 time period. Uh, but they decided once they kicked out Martin Eberhard, or he left, it's debated. We'll have to talk about that in a future episode. But uh, he also left the company because Elon decided to take control of the company as a, in a more active role. Um, and they shut down the Tesla energy side of things to focus just on getting the Roadster out since at that point they hadn't put the Roadster out. So him, he, he did, Bernard decided to leave um, and he started Ativa very shortly after he left um, with the goal of continuing to work on this project of, uh, software and battery packs for other car makers and also for energy storage. And so the very beginning of their life as a company was focused on battery pack technology um, and software for battery packs. Um, and then eventually they started getting into drivetrains as well. 
And somewhat recently, in the past few years, um, they decided to focus on building an entire car and becoming a car company. (laughs) At that point, you might as well. You're just a few doors short of a car. Well, I think one of the things that you uh, they were finding out is it's very difficult for them to it was difficult for them to find a market for the Tesla, the energy at that point. Um, And most of the car companies are trying to do this in-house or with the very large providers like LG, uh, which is helping Chevy on the Volt and the Bolt program. And so I think they saw an opportunity uh, to to try and make an entire car company, which would hopefully make the company more valuable. Um, and so what they did is they went out and they uh, recruited Peter Rawlinson to join as their CTO. And that's, he's a really important person because he, uh, he was the uh, chief engineer and the VP of vehicle engineering at Tesla. Oh, so really? he, he was in charge of the Model S program. Um, so he was a hands-on engineer at Tesla. Um, he actually holds a significant number of the patents uh, that were generated as a result of the Model S. Uh, he's in videos of, that Tesla did uh, of the Model S before it launched in 2011. Oh, pre- uh, he, presumably, he's an inventor on the patents. He doesn't hold them, though, right? Like Tesla yeah, sorry, holds he, the patents. Sorry, yes, he was an okay. inventor on them, um, and uh, and he was also in in like press interviews about the launch of the Model S. So it, sometimes it's it's very possible for companies to inflate. Uh, the importance of a particular employee at their previous <laughs> company. Uh, but it, it seems as if, for sure, Peter Rawlson was a very serious uh, person on the Tesla program and the Model S. And, and he left. He was at Tesla for three years. And right after he left, he joined Ativa. So he went from finishing up the Model S to then going to Ativa and starting on the, uh, the car programs there. So was super, it because super he, serious. Was it because he refused to work on Falcon Wing Doors on the X and he, he just had to leave at that point? There, I wasn't able to find any particular reasons for his departure. Um, we'll but, just go with that then. Sure. You, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and he was a car guy before. He wasn't as if he was someone just out of college or something. He had been at, uh, he was a principal engineer at Jaguar, um, and he was also chief engineer uh, at Lotus before that. So he's got like 30 years of car uh, engineering experience and he's an engineer. So very serious, um, serious dude. One of the <laughs> other guys who is important to the uh, lucid story is their new VP of design, Jarek Jenkins. And so Tesla, you know, after they finished the roadster, they decided they wanted to hire a designer. Te- uh, Elon had done some of the styling for the roadster and admitted that he wasn't a designer, <laughs> good self-admission. And so they, uh, hired Franz von Holsteiner, it's difficult to say his name. Um, and so uh, every major car company has a chief designer uh, who's in charge of, of styling um, and, and interior design. And so for Lucid, they hired Derek Jenkins. Uh, and so he only joined a year and a half ago. He joined in 2015. So he hasn't been there quite as long. Uh, but he oversees all the interior design, all the exterior design, user experience, all the color uh, color and materials, all the accessories, and then also just the overall corporate branding. And uh, so his background, he was eight years at Audi. He worked on the A2 and also the 2002 A8. Uh, he then moved on to Volkswagen, uh, the parent group, and was there for nine years as the chief North American designer. So the top job uh, for North America design. And then he moved on to Mazda as the head of North American design 
and worked on the brand new uh, MX-5, which is also known as the Miata. Uh, and then he worked on the Mazda 6 and the Mazda 3 and also the 2017 CX-9. So because he's been at Mazda very recently, he the, the current design language for Mazda is, is very attributable to him. And uh, the overall consensus is that Mazda's design has improved pretty greatly since he had joined. Um, and so he has a, a strong background uh, and uh, critical acclaim for his design work. So um, he's now leading, leading design. And then to round it all out, uh, they have a guy named Brian Barron, who's leading manufacturing, uh, 18 years at BMW uh, at their South Carolina plant, which we've talked about in the past, uh, and also at the Germany, uh, some of the Germany factories. Um, and so he worked on the uh, programs for the X3, the X4, the X5, which are produced in the Spartanburg, South Carolina plant, and also the 5, 6, and 7 series. So he's used to production for high quality uh, vehicles, both sedans uh, and uh, crossover style vehicles. So he's in charge of manufacturing for, for Lucid. So those are the five key folks. Um, conspicuously, uh, they don't have a CEO right now either. Um, <laughs> so that's a challenge, um, but uh, it seems as if they're primarily focused on the engineering and design right now, but at some point they will need to have a, an official CEO. So Yeah, that's kind of weird. It's a little, a little, a little tricky. So um, th that's sort of the core team. So, you know, I think they certainly have a very strong team, a lot of Tesla employees, and their team is relatively small compared to uh, Faraday. So they have mm -hmm. around 300 people. Uh, Faraday has around 1,000. Um, and, and their ramp has been more smooth. So in 2014, they had 150 people. A year later, they had 250, so they added 100. And uh, in the past year, they've only added around 50 people. So they've been at a much slower uh, pace of hiring uh, than Faraday Future has been. Uh, well, they've been around 10 years and haven't released anything. They're obviously taking their time. They're not in yeah. a big rush. Sure. I guess I would also say, though, that uh, Tesla was around for quite a while um, in the design phase for Roadster. Um, and, uh, and that I think people sort of think of the Model S as the coming out time in 2012. But you know, they had been around for, for many, many years before that. So uh, they certainly have been building technical expertise, and it's not sort of all just thrown together. Um, and I think Rawlson being there is, is a really, really important person because obviously the Model S is regarded as one of the best cars in the world uh, by many auto uh, magazines and, and journalists and owners alike. Uh, and so for the guy who built that to be leading their engineering team, I think you have to admit they have an incredible uh, pedigree of, of folks um, who, who know what they're doing and now are going to be building the next generation of, of car. So from the talent side, I think they have uh, that pretty strong from a leadership point of view. Um, and 300 people is, um, you know, plus or minus what Tesla was, was doing when they did Model S. So um, they have, you know, the right amount of people to be able to actually pull this off. It's not as if they're 10 people or 10,000. So right order of magnitude of people to actually build a car. <laughs> cool, cool. So one of the things that uh, they have been doing to make money in the, well, they will be making money in the short term is, as we mentioned at the top, they, they've been focused on batteries and they've actually won the contract for the Formula E racing. Uh, so they're going to be providing the packs for Formula E racing. And I mention it mainly because uh, the, the characteristics for the e-racing are such that it's extremely demanding on the cells uh, and the packs from a heating and cooling perspective, since 
they're being used in a racing uh, yeah. setup. Can you uh, explain what, what Formula E is? Yeah, so I, I'm not the best expert on Formula E, but basically it is a new racing class that is, uh, they look a little bit like, they look like Formula One open wheel racing, um, and they're only electric cars, and it's sort of the new, uh, a new program um, to get people excited about electric car racing. And so there's many different teams from McLaren and others who are doing their own Formula E. Uh, Faraday is going to have a car, but they all, like many of the Formula One racing systems, have to share uh, many of the same components. And so the battery packs are are shared for all of them, and they all have to buy from the same provider. Gotcha. And uh, they also need to be able to take very high and quick rates of charge. Um, so uh, Lucid is now going to be in charge, um, and they're Lucid-specific chemistries for the cells. So um, Sony is actually going to be making the cells, uh, but they're Lucid design. Um, and then McLaren is actually going to be uh, managing the logistics and the track side sort of part of things. And has, um, have they actually sold, have, have, do they have any batteries that they've manufactured anywhere in, in the world right now? I, I guess what I'm wondering is, is, is Formula E, is, are they just going with a completely unproven battery supplier and this is going to be their first thing that they do? Or, uh, or, or have they been selling batteries to like, like Powerwall type things and this is just going to be an extension of it? It doesn't look like they've sold any to customers to date uh they will be for season five which is in 2018 and 2019 so there's still a few years away from having the contract um so yeah this will still be somewhat unproven uh but by that time frame jumping ahead they will actually most likely have the vehicle out um so it's not as if this is going to fuel their funding um in the interim i, I just sort of think it's interesting that there were there was this was a competitive process. There are a lot of companies that are trying to make the battery packs, and Lucid got the contract, and they had external um, folks evaluate the different uh, proposals uh, for Formula E, and uh, and so they they them winning it I think is important. Now what we don't know is we don't know if Tesla entered to compete, so it's not it's not necessarily true that they beat Tesla uh, because Tesla may have not even participated in throwing their hat in the ring to build the cells for these um, Formula E. Um, so interesting just to point that, it out. Yeah, it's interesting that uh, apparently shipping an entire brand new production car wasn't considered enough of a challenge. They wanted to throw in this uh, alternate, probably very low volume uh, side activity as well. Yeah, I, and I think what the the one parallel I would, I would draw for this, the Echo, is um, Tesla did work on uh, providing cell packs uh, and drivetrains for Mercedes uh, in the early days. And also uh, they did some work, I think, with um, Smart. Uh, might be might be getting a little confused there. But essentially they had some early programs where they were helping other automakers um, and they got some investment from that, uh, even though they were still trying to get Model S ramped up. So um, not unprecedented um, to be doing this, but I think you're right. It It is... Uh, definitely on the extreme side. Obviously, automakers have done lots of racing work to try and uh, invent new technologies and have those trickle down to their consumer cars. But for a brand new company to be focused on racing when their uh, primary goal is to ship a, uh, a luxury sedan, that's a, a, a little bit unusual, but um, 
it, it may be the case that it really is a couple people working on it and it's not, uh, not a huge investment, but it may give them a fair amount of cachet uh, and bragging rights to be able to say that their battery packs are in the race cars and you will have a similar battery pack in your Lucid vehicle. Hmm. Interesting. So to the cells, so the, the, they're, to your point, they're not going to be manufacturing the cells. Similar to what Tesla did, they partnered. Um, instead of partnering with Panasonic, they've partnered with Samsung. Uh, <laughs> so... <laughs> Wow, that's an explosive revelation. <laughs> they are, uh, so the Samsung situation, uh, the batteries for the phones that were catching on fire uh, apparently was more around the cells being too hot based on the engineering constraints of the phone. Um, but again, that goes to the pack. So um, what we know most about Samsung cells right now is they have been in tons and tons of plenty of electronics. Um, and that it was a uh, engineering challenge with the the phone's design and not necessarily <laughs> the individual cells. So the Samsung it, Galaxy Note Seven. Yeah, exactly. I'll, I'll give it a pass. I'm not I'm not super freaked out about that. I think the cells themselves are not the problem. It's if they overheat as a result of bad cooling, which will be on Lucid side, that would be problematic. Um, sure. One of the things that is important is it is a Lucid uh, chemistry. Um, that they will be working with Samsung on. Uh, they expect they will be uh, the highest energy density, have the longest lifetime, and the most safety. So very easy to put these superlatives in a press release. <laughs> uh, we'll see. Obviously, Tesla has been saying similar things for their Gigafactory cells, um, and uh, we'll wait and see how these actually perform in the real world. Um, but one of the things they did point out that Tesla hasn't talked about as much is how they're trying to position it for if their cars are using ride sharing uh, and also in the uh, characteristics for the um, Formula E, that they expect they're going to be uh, need to have a lot faster cycle time and be able to withstand that super high fast rate of charge and discharge uh, and recharge. Um, and so if you imagine a, a, you know, a self-driving car in, in Uber or Lyft, it may need to recharge multiple times throughout the day because it's driving the majority of the day, uh, that that isn't actually the way that most cells are designed for that level of uh, cycling and uh, heating and cooling through the packs. So they've talked about that a lot. We'll see how that actually materializes. Uh, but it is something unique um, in the messaging around their batteries that other providers haven't talked about as much. So I did think that was interesting. And Peter Ralston is, is credited with talking about that um, in regards to their unique battery chemistry with Samsung. So Interesting. It is new. I would have thought that for like some sort of sharing fleet of cars, the valuable thing would be like swappability. Like you think you'd want to just have some like garages that your shared fleet will pull into and swap out the pack and then the other pack would charge while you have a fresh pack going. It seems as if there very few companies are going to be doing the swap packing. I mean, I understand Sorry, why swapping. that doesn't make any sense for like personal ownership, but for a fleet, it seems like that would be a... I mean, I guess if you can get around the sort of engineering constraints of, of uh, maybe it's like too difficult to get it into the car. I don't know. Yeah, I think that it w it, one of the challenges, too, is it requires that uh, they have those facilities sprinkled everywhere versus relying on more lower cost infrastructure for charging. Mm. Um, and 
And or also they could the just assets have... are being underutilized because you have battery packs sitting around. Dude, not Uber, being used. Uber can just have the uh, auto trucks driving around and like Night Rider, they can just drive up in the back, swap their pack out and then back right back out. That may actually be more what would happen is the the semis may just have massive batteries in them and the cars would charge from them. Um, uh, like refueling in the fast, air. Yeah, super fast recharge. Um, and then... I think that would be interesting, but that's more getting into like how the shape of vehicles would change in a fleet autonomous mode where, you know, maybe they wouldn't be sleek luxury vehicles. They would be a little more utilitarian and then have an easier way to snap batteries on and off. But we're, we're totally digressing here. That's okay. Um, <laughs> so let's, uh, how about we talk about the Lucid Factory then instead? Yeah. So one of the last components you need, and we'll get to the car, but I think we'll have the most to say about the car. So this is all the things that Lucid has been doing in preparation is they need to build a factory. They're not going to work with a contract manufacturer. They plan to build their own factory. Um, they've chosen a site. Uh, they're building it in Casa Grande, uh, Arizona. And one of the interesting notes about this particular site is it was in consideration for the Gigafactory. And one of the, one of the sort of the finalists that Tesla had for the Gigafactory. And apparently when, uh, Tesla decided to go with Nevada, Nevada, they, uh, <laughs> a little veep uh, call out there. Apparently it's very important. Um, that uh, they Arizona was itching to make a deal for this site, and uh, Lucid moved in uh, and is going to take over this site as their factory. And I think one of the things that's important is, okay, how big is this factory? How much is it going to cost? Apparently, it's going to cost around $700 million to build this factory, and they're planning to start the second half of this year, 2017. They're, gonna, wait, they're just going to start building the factory in the second half of this year? Yes. Oh, interesting. Okay. They don't have, it doesn't seem as if they have $700 million in cash to pay for it yet. So it seems as if that's in, uh, presuming they will get more funding. And also to compare that to Tesla, Tesla paid around $40 million for the Numi plant. So but how much did they have to like an, pay about or? another 50 million in okay. direct like costs, uh, in the very beginning. But just to say like, it is very expensive to build a factory and Tesla had a huge advantage by getting the uh, Numi plant for, for so low. Um, and the factory, they plan to do around 20,000 cars initially per year, and they plan to ramp up to 130,000 cars. So it won't be the full 700 million out the bat. It sounds like they're going to do a staged construction. Um, but 130,000 cars isn't the sort of uh, half a million cars that many car factories are sort of built towards um so that would then necessitate more cars a bigger plant later um and arizona is helping out with 46 million dollars in subsidies uh tied to milestones so similar to what uh well it's much smaller uh than what uh the 1.3 billion dollar package for tesla from nevada and uh faraday got around a 300 million dollar package from nevada as well so faraday and tesla are nevada for their new factories and when you say package that's like tax credits or something yeah tax credits tax abatements uh lower um uh lower taxes on on the land uh on on equipment that they're installing um and then i think also some employment tax reductions okay. so it's all um just reduction it's in, almost all reductions it's not like yeah. there's no like government bond being issued or something to raise money or nothing there's nothing like that yeah, exactly. Okay. One one federal thing, Lucid is planning to apply for the Department of Energy Advanced Tran 
Technology Vehicles Manufacturing Program, which is a mouthful, <laughs> which apparently could cover up to 80% of the cost of building the factory, but it's a reimbursement versus an upfront loan. So they need to come up with the cash first, and then they could be reimbursed for quite a lot of it um, from the federal government. But this was all before um, President Trump took office. So we're not sure what will happen with that particular program. Um, and the Department of Energy is now being run by Rick Perry. Um, so we're not sure what will happen with any of their programs for manufacturing. Um, but there is apparently a program that could offset the cost quite dramatically um, if they were to build this factory. So that's the factory. Uh, it, I think you need a factory to build cars, so they have to do that. But it just, again, points to the, the high stakes involved with this. Like, to your point, I think... Starting in 2017, if you want to be building a car anytime soon, like that's crazy to not have the factory even, not even broken ground yet. Right. Um, that is just so many moving parts to make the factory happen. And then you actually have to build the car inside the factory. So I think we'll have really clear indication that if the factory isn't building on schedule, there's no way they're going to be able to build the cars on schedule. So uh, that'll sort of be the first part of the Gantt chart uh, that might slip. <laughs> It's interesting too that they didn't uh, like take over much like you say with Tesla and the Numi plant, like take over an abandoned or you know neglected auto plant somewhere. Surely yeah. there's there's got to be a bunch of them around. Definitely, and and we saw that some of those are now being re restarted uh, as a result of not wanting to build in Mexico uh, due to the new administration. Some of the car companies are already committing to refurbishments for existing plants or reopening plants they had previously closed. So, yeah, there are definitely underutilized plants around the U.S. already. So to build fresh is an is a increased level of difficulty uh, and capital requirements. So uh, hopefully they, they certainly, some of the staff have seen this up close. Uh, their head of manufacturing certainly knows what a good factory looks like. BMW has great factories here in the U.S. and in Germany. So I don't think it's a, a problem of knowing what to do. Uh, it's just definitely intriguing that they're going to build their own from scratch yeah definitely ambitious for sure so let's get to the philosophy and the car itself because all of that is preamble to what they're actually going to ship and will people want to buy it so they recently showed off the car uh at their event uh in december ahead of ces remember that faraday future showed off at ces so lucid actually beat them to the punch a bit um, and they had an event. It was about 40 minutes or so, I think. Um, it was definitely a lot tighter than the Faraday Future event. Uh, <laughs> it was not as over-the-top and grandiose um, and silly, in my view. It was much <laughs> and, more grounded. And, and the vehicle worked, so that, that was an improvement, too. Yeah, the vehicle was working. Um, and I think they sort of positioned it as, uh, well, they started off with a um, a analogy or echo to what steve jobs did in 2007 uh <laughs> when he was introducing the iphone and he came out and he said we've got three breakthrough devices for you we've got a widescreen touchscreen iphone ipod uh we've got an internet communicator which made people a little stumped and we've got a, a touchscreen phone and then he just kept saying it do you get it we're releasing one product. It's actually the iPhone. <laughs> so they tried to do their own variation of this. And they said, you know, we've got three vehicles to show you today. One is a performance, uh, performance car 
that gets incredible zero to 60 in 2.5 seconds has a thousand horsepower and it's just an amazing sports car we've got a sublime luxury car uh, that brings the uh, executive jet travel to you as a passenger and driver and we've got an incredible car that is a mid-size uh, luxury car but actually on the outside but on the inside is a full-size long wheelbase mercedes s-class or uh audi a8 and uh and then it was revealed that it's one car no <laughs> I, compromise i thought that i it was a very very tortured analogy and and really they just left out the obvious tardis analogy like just right. sitting there where they should just said it's bigger on the inside yeah so I think uh, that was a little bit silly. And, and even one of the presenters, Derek uh, Jenkins, uh, sort of said, you know, we are only releasing one car. Um, I think it was pretty clear to people they weren't going to release three cars at once. Um, but I do think that the positioning uh, they took was more rational than the Faraday future reinventing mobility kind of point of view. <laughs> um, and I thought that their, their reason for being of trying to do everything possible to maximize the benefits of being an electric vehicle and also what that would afford you for trying to make the best experience for being in a car. Uh, I think the anchor of executive jet travel is a good one. I think a lot of people aspire to have or be able to travel in a private plane. I think, you know, anytime you've seen those in television or movies, it looks great uh, compared to a regular airplane. Um, it's usually limited to the super, 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 super rich, uh, the 0.001%. Um, and that the idea of being able to have more space in a car without having the car be much larger is certainly appealing. And so I do think they've taken advantage of the core reasons that a EV, when you do it from scratch, should be better. Uh, I do think they nailed what those attributes are we can talk about the luxury positioning of it but i do think that that was a pretty clear uh description of the positive attributes that come from designing an ev from scratch that people have been asking for uh and and they haven't yet seen from the traditional automakers the bolt kind of gets there but i don't think it goes quite as far as uh lucid is is pushing the boundaries yeah i think i mean as you start moving towards the electric drivetrain and you don't have a giant gasoline engine and you don't have gas tank and transmissions or whatever else you can start really changing the way a car looks like what a what a vehicle looks like um i think that the the bolt and the model s like you know you look at those and you know it's a vehicle it might have it could very well have a gasoline and an engine in it for all you know yeah um and i still think this one is is similar but it, it's it's another step i guess uh, a little further away from the traditional design, I guess. Is, is that kind of what I was, is that, is that what I'm trying to say, Caleb? I think so. I think so. <laughs> so some of the stats to get those out of the way, performance is going to be zero to 60 in 2.5 seconds. Uh, the power is a thousand horsepower. The range will be uh, 300 miles to begin with, with a hundred kilowatt, a hundred kilowatt hour battery, but they'll have an optional 130 kilowatt hour battery that will go to 400 miles. So quite a lot of range. And the, External dimensions are going to be similar to an E-Class Mercedes, um, but the interior volume for the passenger will be similar to a long wheelbase S, uh, S-Class Mercedes or uh, A8. Um, so 
a lot of space on the inside. And so it's actually going to be shorter and less wide than a Model S, but have a lot more interior uh, space. I'd like to see some sort of standard for differentiating between those uh, metrics, like saying zero to 60 in 2.5 seconds. That's impressive, but is also in sort of opposition to a range of 400 miles or 300 miles or whatever. Um, it's like, you know, if you're, if you want to get 300 miles, there might be like a maximum sort of acceleration that you can have. Um, oh yeah. Like kind of a economy mode or something. And uh, I don't know. They, I, Tesla does it too. And I mean, I guess uh, gasoline cars do it as well with uh, miles per gallon and acceleration times. It's just interesting that they're almost always put together and they're kind of, there's a tension between the two. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure these are based on the EPA cycle tests, which Tesla has to go through and, uh, yeah, certainly are not flooring it uh, much. Um, and again, I think that goes to their their point about, you know, it can be a sports car type dynamic, uh, but it also could be a long range cruiser if you choose not to punch it all the time. And it's not common for a um, an internal combustion engine vehicle to be able to have the driving dynamics and and acceleration and still also have that much space inside. And right. so that's sort of the paradoxical combination of vehicle type that they're trying to point out. And one, one of the other things they pointed out in the presentation that at least for me made a lot of, made some sense was they were pointing out that all the major automakers have all these different model lines, all these different individual models, and they're all suited for a particular use case. So they've got a small sedan or micro sedan they've got a compact sedan full-size sedan luxury sedan and then they've got the crossovers and the full suvs and the pickup trucks and they're getting more and more fine-grained and creating more and more models to try and suit the particular use case and and competitive set and so if bmw wants to make their three series amazing they have to worry about cannibalizing the five series or the seven series and that when you come in as a new entrant, you actually don't have to worry about cannibalizing any existing sales uh, because you don't have any. And so you can create a car uh, or vehicle that actually crosses boundaries that traditional automakers uh, build towards to compete against a particular model. Um, and that it is one of the things that precludes someone like a BMW or Audi from creating a car that is the same size as their e-class but has the same size as the s-class because how would they price that and how would it be positioned uh, and because lucid doesn't have any of those problems they can try and come in and take market share from both of those segments and create a car that is drastically better in dimensions that other vehicles choose not to optimize for so i, I thought they, they pointed that out during the presentation and i thought that was a good good way to think about why traditional automakers may have a challenge fully adopting the benefits of electric vehicles because they already have pre-existing product lines with existing margins and customer bases and competitive sets that may make them be more shy about introducing these really great um, features and benefits that someone like a Lucid can do. Right. It's a dilemma, an, almost an innovator's dilemma. For sure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so what were some of the things about the, the car that stood out to you? Um, after watching the presentation and digging into some of the details and test drives and such? Well, I don't know if this was the most important thing, but the thing that struck me the most was the, I wasn't really sure what the vehicle was for. Um, I think it's the, all the emphasis on the uh, like 
business class airplane rear seats was really odd. Um, mm-hmm. I, I wasn't really sure if this is a vehicle that's meant to be like driven or is it meant to be chauffeured? Um, and, I, and I guess as as autonomy comes around, I guess chauffeuring will be a little bit different. But even then, you wouldn't be chauffeured in the back seat, right? So I think, um, yeah, I, that is a little bit unusual. I think that they certainly have the two stories of, um, yes, this will be a Tesla Model S competitor. Yes, this will be a model uh, an S class or, um, you know, a seven competitor. So if you're buying one of those cars because you like a large, really large luxury sedan, like driving it quickly, then you may choose this. But one of the big critiques for the Teslas has been that their interior appointments have not been up to the standards of a high end Volvo or high end Mercedes. And it seems as if Lucid is trying to really punch above their entry class weight on really high-end finishes and also for the chauffeured class who do have s classes and long wheelbase cars where they do have a driver that uh, executive rear seating echoes towards my box um, and phantoms and things like that that uh, perhaps will actually now be brought down into a much lower price class since the my box from mercedes now started around two hundred thousand uh, the Rolls-Royce Phantoms and things are in the three hundred, four hundred thousand dollar price point. So there is a class of vehicle above one hundred and fifty thousand dollars that is for people who are being chauffeured, um, and so this would actually be an inexpensive option for that, which is ridiculous to say. Well, yeah, because you have to, but you have to pay a chauffeur. So uh, the the cost of the vehicle is actually a pretty small part of that. Well, also then, which increases the, the need for it to be really great. Um, but yeah, so they do have these like option of a two rear two seats in the back instead of three and they're they're like business class first class seats that actually recline they recline up to 50 degrees yeah and that was a there was a big commitment to that too because if you look at them like everything behind the seat where it would recline is unusable space like it's not like you're reclining into the trunk there's like a dedicated enormous cavity for the seat to recline into yeah, and the the rear seats have like a, a little touchscreen for just the reclining c- component. There's a little footrest that pops up. Um, there's a huge glass roof above for the rear passengers as well. Um, and then there's a rear media tablet and dual zone com- climate and everything. So it's fully kitted out for the rear passengers to be extremely comfortable. So if, if this was a family car, having kids in the back would be incredible. They're going to have a bench option that will be more... Uh, traditional with three seats, but it'll be interesting to see what the packaging of that looks like. Didn't see many uh, photos of that. They seem to be showing off the two uh, executive style seats in the rear. Yeah, those are the only ones I saw. But um, uh, yeah, I think when it was fully, fully autonomous, the question is, would you, I think at some point you will just get in the back uh, and there won't be the front in the same way, but will this particular car get there? Maybe not. but uh, it, it's definitely very uh, cool. I mean, I don't think in a, uh, if there's two of you, your wife and, and you, I don't think it's going to be kosher to want to sit, sit in the back. I don't know. I think your... my wife would be happy sitting in the back if I was driving, if, if she could like take a nap. But yeah, I don't think it, that would work the other way around, though. Um, yeah, I, I just thought it was interesting. And, you know, all of the emphasis on, like, the performance aspects also don't really make sense if it's a chauffeured vehicle because 
I mean, if you're being chauffeured around, it's probably the you probably don't want rapid acceleration and and cornering. You probably want a little more of a luxurious ride. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I just thought it was an interesting tension. It was like there were two messages going on, and it wasn't really all that clear to me what what they were focusing on. I will say I would love to get in this car as an Uber or Lyft rider. So if yeah, this is true. going to be used in ride sharing and there will be drivers to begin with, because there is the premium version of both Lyft and Uber and others, that this would be a great vehicle for that, uh, for limo services and others. That if I was being driven by someone else for paid service for, to the airport, whatever, I would love to be in the rear of this seat, uh, of this vehicle versus another vehicle. Uh, yeah, so and if, if the interior cabin is large enough, it could also have a nice divider between the front seats and the back seats too, which yeah. would make it the perfect Uber vehicle. I could, I could sit down, I could recline, and then it, I would be physically divided by, and I wouldn't have to speak to the uh, driver, not in an elitist way, just as a, as an introvert sort of way. Yeah, yeah, and they have talked about ride sharing being one of the emerging trends they're trying to build the company around, and even if that takes five or six years, this car won't be out for two years. And so it, it's possible that this car, either they'll introduce their own ride sharing, as Tesla has said they will do with Tesla Network, um, and have a few of these roaming around San Francisco or LA, where they've mapped it really well and they're confident in its capabilities, that you would be able to ride in one of these self-driving, and you would most likely get in the, in the rear seat. So I think that's a really compelling uh, positioning for why you would have these great seats is in the world where you're not driving either in the level four uh, ride serving ride service um, where you don't own the vehicle, but you're going to ride in it. Uh, and, and even in a more direct immediate way in the super near term of a, uh, a chauffeur owned by, or, you know, employed by you or in a ride sharing situation. Uh, but obviously most people are not choosing the super luxe versions of, of Uber and Lyft. Um, <laughs> so I don't think the regular Uber X driver is going to switch to a lucid air anytime soon that would be difficult to recoup uh, given the current economics of ride sharing yeah and the trends yeah so a couple things i thought were particularly interesting uh one was the headlights um so the headlights have uh so they're not normal two bulb headlights they are um this sort of multi-lens system where there's thousands of individual lenses and there there's 4,870 micro lenses they're calling them um, in each lamp side so there's nearly 10,000 in total and the advantage they're talking about is a human has two eyes insects have hundreds of eyes and they can look at different places and in different asp- uh, different focal lengths and so instead of two beams of light uh, they can create a field of light um, and so their goal here is to improve safety and visibility uh, by being able to put the light wherever they want it on the roadway ahead at whatever distances is needed um, and also simultaneously have multiple fields of light. So it could be very sharp right below the vehicle and very long range and not at a high um, pitch so that you could see the road very clearly but not necessarily need to blind people who are coming coming at you. Yeah, I did quite... I didn't quite understand what that meant. Like, does that mean that it's like one of these DLP projectors where they have like all these little lenses that are being like controlled? Or is it just like a frontal lens like a lighthouse might have or a or a Klieg spotlight where it's it's like carved into the glass element uh, in front of the bulb and is directing stuff that way? 
it sounds like they're all individually going to be illuminated. At least that's what I took from it. Um, and that apparently in their own press materials, they've said that it will be 50% more efficient than traditional LED lights, which LEDs are already very efficient. So, uh, you know, a, marg uh, a relative improvement of 50% sounds great, but the absolute amount of wattage from LED lights is not nearly as much as it was from halogens in, in the past. And Teslas have LED lights. So um, one of the things they, they called out most was the uh, electricity efficiency, but um, I'm really intrigued to see it because if they're mechanic, you know, it sounds like they're moving mechanically. So that's going to be a huge amount of, um, potential risk in complexity for these heads, headlamps where I don't think many people are actively, um, feeling like their headlamps are the biggest problem with their vehicle. <laughs> so no, no, certainly not with modern vehicles. Yeah. That wouldn't be where I would have been like, oh man, yeah, that's really where you should have spent your time. Yeah, that's why I was wondering if they were just like kind of over in like kind of resume padding, if they were just over inflating like what was basically just like, you know, fancy lenses in front of their LED lights. I think maybe one thing, too, is that it, when you look at it from the from any of the photos, it, it's um, sort of a, a unibar across the front fascia. And they have uh, some of their autonomous sensors above and below that. And so maybe it's from a packaging point of view that they, they couldn't afford to have the large headlights that are traditional. Um, but even then, I think Tesla's been able to figure out how to fit it in the center, center part of their vehicle of the front fascia for the sensors. So I'm not convinced that's the reason either. So I thought that was a little bit, um, a little bit unusual. Um, <laughs> we'll see how that actually ends up performing. Um, and uh, I guess one of the other things I thought was kind of cool was, or, or intriguing is they're going to be packing this thing with a bunch of sensors. So um, they're going to have, let's see, they said six radar. So two long range radar front and back and four short range radar. They're going to have eight cameras, which that sounds very similar because Tesla also has eight cameras. So they're going to have the three front cameras with the different point fields of view, very similar to what Tesla's doing. And then five surround, very similar to what Tesla's doing. They're going to have four LiDAR, two short range and two long range. Tesla has chosen not to do LiDAR in the current sensor package and doesn't seem to be interested in it. But can I, um, quick question about the LiDAR. Yeah. Are they planning on having like current LiDAR or are they planning on, um, are they extrapolating forward and betting on the inexpensive lidar being available like two years down the road when they're actually shipping these vehicles yeah it looks like it's going to be the future um solid state lidar okay. um which velodyne is working on and others where instead of a rotating uh field of view it's actually more like more like a radar where it's going to sort of emit from a solid state um more of silicon based thing uh, instead of a rotating mirror um around a laser um and that because they're those those that approach uh those are lower range and um lower resolution they're going to need more of them so that's why they're they're playing that four lidar where right well it won't the, be 360 like spinning one right exactly yeah there's going to be a field of view similar to radar instead of the fully spinning ones that you've seen on um some of the test vehicles from from the self-driving cars to date uh, and then also they're going to have an internal driver monitoring camera um, which will be pointing at the driver uh, to monitor alertness and, and such. The big so, brother camera. Yeah, that I'm really curious how people will adopt to that um, because I think all the major, major manufacturers as they roll out the level four 
we'll be putting something like that in there. And Tesla hasn't done it yet, but um, you know, you could probably drive some adoption by uh, bundling in like a driver recognition feature and not needing a key at all. Mm-hmm. So your car would just recognize that it's you, and then all of a sudden it's a value add feature and not an oppressive like I must keep my eyes on the road feature. Yeah, definitely as a as a safety feature and uh, yeah anti theft. Um, but yeah, the the idea that it's going to be monitoring you and um, recording what's happening in the car, I think many people treat the inside of their car as a safe uh, private space. So knowing that that there's a a video feed on the inside is going to be uh, poss- possibly cut down on people's uh, singing singing in their car. Who knows? Yeah, people are going to need to uh, start reading the terms of service because you know you could get into you know, it, te- it detects that as you're driving down a certain road that you looked at a billboard uh, mm-hmm. and it knows what billboard is there and it can tell that your eyes looked over at that billboard or it's got a microphone. It can tell what ads are on the radio or what kind of music you're listening to. And I mean, it sounds a little bit far-fetched, but I mean, ultimately that's what the websites you do are visiting. And then there was the recent settlement with the Vizio TVs where they were actually like sampling pixels and sending it back to the server to detect what you were watching. <laughs> which yeah. is just mental. And, well, and uh, if there's someone in the room and if you're talking and all, yeah. I mean, even, even to like, did you pick up your phone and look at something right before an incident? I yeah. think that's one of the big reasons they wanted us for liability is were you not paying attention and therefore you should have been and therefore the car isn't responsible. It's the, the driver and, um, you know, uh, forward facing dash cams have been playing an increasing role in uh, liability for, for accidents and crashes uh, and, now and having asteroid having, spotting or meteorite spotting yeah, in Russia that too. <laughs> yeah. And now having the interior camera to, to know whether or not you were looking uh, or not is, uh, is, it's going to be interesting who owns that. Um, but what's interesting too, is that they're not building all of the self-driving, um, functionality themselves as Tesla has sort of moved down that path and Waymo has moved down that path. Um, uh, they're actually going to be partnering with Mobileye. So the, uh, the company Tesla had worked with for Autopilot One, uh, they are actually going to be working with for the full uh, compute platform for the eight-camera uh, processing, all the sensor fusion, and also the road, um, the road management, which is, tes- uh, which is Mobileye's high-definition map sort of equivalent. Um, they call it REM, and basically it's uh, the way that these cars are going to crowd share their data around where they're driving. Uh, to build the high definition maps for self-driving. Um, and they're going to be launching with two of the IQ4 chips, which is the next generation mobile chips. The Tesla was using one of this uh, IQ3, sorry, EQ3 chip uh, in, in the previous Model S's and X's. Um, and so they're going to be using the next generation chips. And these were the chips that I was expecting Tesla was going to use. Um, so they're, they're moving on the same trajectory that Mobileye has been communicating is necessary for full self-driving. So they've got the right um, platform in place if Mobileye can actually deliver the software. Um, but uh, it's a different approach than Tesla's taken of trying to now build it all in-house. They're at least giving that to a third party of Mobileye. And um, they expect when they launch, they'll have advanced driver assist, similar to autopilot as it exists today. And they've said that they expect within six months of launching the vehicle, they will start being able to turn on some of the full self-driving capabilities, which would put them at the second half of 2019. So it'll be interesting to see where Tesla is at that point, where Chevy and the Cruise team is at that point. Um, but they're, they're uh, hitching their wagon to Mobileye 
uh, for for self-driving features. Yeah, that's pretty notable. That seems like that's the uh, a lot of other companies are viewing that as the future, and to sort of outsource that uh, is is interesting. Yeah, and and that um, that's not the that's not the that's one of the areas Tesla believes they're going to be dominant competitive wise and in the short term and long term tesla thinks they're going to be competitive most competitive based on their manufacturing capabilities but elon said in the short term they think that autonomy will be the reason they're most um chosen so to choose a third party is definitely interesting and means that they don't have a ton of self-driving staff uh in-house well i guess if you're selling a vehicle that's designed to be chauffeured around then all vehicles are autonomous vehicles yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> I thought the um, the other thing I thought was inter- another thing I thought was interesting was the uh, the windshield was very similar to the Model X. It oh had, yeah, it had that like wraparound spaceship bubble uh, look going on. Although I did notice that they uh, did actually put visors in. Did you mm-hmm. notice that? Yeah. So <laughs> the, the Model X kind of fixed. issues those visors, and they just kind of it looks like they've kind of glued them onto the window or something. Yeah, they um, they do have that similar helicopter style bubble and it looks great i can't wait to get a vehicle hopefully the model 3 feels that same way it doesn't go quite as far up as this this air shows off or the x does um but from some of the daytime driving videos that people have taken it looks great um and yeah they've got sort of the central spine for the power for the cameras in the in the rear view mirror and then yeah as, as you saw and said they have the uh the flip down uh, windscreen and um or visors rather and that they're going to do the tinting the same way tesla did and not all the cars have the full tinting yet so people don't need to freak out but one of the things jumping into the interior is they have a lot of screens they have more screens <laughs> than tesla does and i was curious what your take was on it because they've got a screen on the left so they've got the central screen that you'd look at that normally where the dials are, the binnacle. So that's a high-resolution screen. And apparently they're all OLED, which is a new technology for higher resolution, sorry, mainly around better blacks, less power, and higher contrast. Um, So they've got a left-hand screen for controls, uh, like um, what mode you're in, um, being able to talk about like turning on the locks, or locking the vehicle, opening the hood, and doing headlights. So that's in this like a little mini left-hand screen. Then you've got the center binnacle one, and that has a whole Tesla heads up or Tesla um, uh, situational awareness style with the car going down the lane. It looks very much like the Tesla setup, but even smoother and like slightly more polished graphics, I thought. And then they've got a right-hand screen, which is for nav, which is touchscreen. But then they've got a retractable iPad Pro-sized screen in the center console down below that comes out at an angle and that's for media so there's a i mean there's like four screens that the driver is somewhat interacting with and and then they've got physical controls for the hvac um in the center console where you normally expect them so i'm curious i know you're not always a fan of the screen so i'm curious what you thought of seeing all these screens in the in the cockpit uh well my first thought was that especially because the um the the screen the three screens that you mentioned like up top um like right directly behind the steering wheel and then on either side of it um they're all at slightly different angles and they all had like chrome like a chrome bezel around them 
like a rounded rim around all of them. So as I'm thinking, as I'm looking at that, I'm thinking no matter what direction the sun is pointing at some point, it's going to be hitting something and bouncing into your face. Like it's going to be, it just seems like a glare problem, um, which is always a little bit irritating. Um, I thought the the retractability of one of the screens screens just seemed gratuitous. Like I, I don't really understand what the value was to that. Um, and it just seemed like unnecessary complexity. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I guess is a common theme. I mean, the um, Audi, the Audi MMI system does have a, you know, the center one retracts and when you turn on, I guess why, like, I guess that's the thing is like, you know, if, if it's retracting, then it's another thing that can go wrong. And why, why bother having that? Like that's, I didn't really see the value. It looked like there was just some storage behind it, which seemed weird. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I am a, a fan of having some physical controls, as I've mentioned. Um, so I think that was nice. Yep. Um, but yeah, I, I I don't know. It it seemed a little bit, I would say with some of these screens, it almost seems like when you watch um, movies and they try and, or television shows and they try and do some sort of super futuristic interface and it, it, they go with the more is more philosophy where just by putting lots of information and having things blinking and showing stuff, it just kind of makes it look more futuristic. And um, as, as you know, too, from like trying to design products or stuff, like it's actually the difficult thing is getting simplicity and like, it's easy to just throw up lots of information, but ultimately you're not actually piloting a 747 here. It's, it's a vehicle where almost everything's automated and you're, they're just showing you lots of stuff. And, you know, a better exercise I would argue is like, what can we remove? Like, what can we get rid of? So I was, yeah, I, I, um, I think I generally agree. I am. I, I sort of take the position that I am not convinced until I were to use it because the details of any UI in a car come down to how it feels when you're actually driving it. And it's not clear to me yet if these extra screens um, that they're employing are, to your point, a exercise in uh, exuberance or a uh, expression of actually solving problems. Um, because so, so the left-hand screen, I was confused about what the merit of that was because Tesla has the center screen and a lot of settings about like, if you're driving in sport or comfort mode, I don't think many people are going to adjust those on the fly. And so it's okay if those are, uh, behind a menu and not readily accessible at 75 miles an hour on the highway. (laughs) Um, but when then I saw that in the UI, they actually had like headlights and things in that left-hand screen. Then I was thinking, okay, even on the car that I drive now, I don't always know what setting I have the lights on, um, if it's just on or auto, because the, the, you know, the markings of that are so small, it's behind the wheel. And so it really comes down to like, do you just remember and know where each of those clicks is? And on the car I drive, I think there's like three left-hand like uh, adjusters uh, coming off spawn from the steering wheel. So that complexity could be more uh, better handled by a hierarchical menu on a screen. I mean, than... for, for something like that, I mean, I would even say, let, let's step back and say, why do you even need to know or care about what your headlight settings sure. are, right? Like yeah. it's... It, if you have like a super advanced vehicle with like eight cameras all around it, it should just know when the lights need to go on, right? Like based on ambient light or just have them on all the time. If they're LED lights and they're never going to burn out, who cares? Yeah, I think, I, I mean, for sure. Yeah. Solving the problem of just doing auto headlights and just doing the right thing. Um, 
and then, and then the question is, okay, for those weird cases where people just like want to have them on because they they're parked or something and they're at a game and they need them on, how do you do that? And again, I fall back to my default assumption would be if you remove that stock from the controls and you choose to sort of rely on the auto lights, it would be okay if that was in the center console. So is the left-hand console, like the left-hand screen there just because it's not incrementally that expensive and they think that's good? I don't, I don't know yet. And, but when you look at this car, when you look at this photo of these interiors, it does look futuristic. And whether or not that's because this is actually how it should be or just how we've been shown in the movies, that's what it would look like. Uh, I, I do believe this is what car companies are going to do. And then it will fall to actually good uh, designers to figure out what to use this real estate for. Um, but I, I can't believe there's going to be more buttons on, on steering wheels and more controls spawned from the, uh, the stocks. Uh, I think there will be less. And then the question will be, do they actually, to your point, actually reconsider whether or not you need that function or do they just keep adding more and more uh, configuration because it's possible to just put it in the software? Yeah, I mean, I, I would even argue I'm not necessarily the biggest fan of putting voice interfaces everywhere, um, especially in like things that you're going to be using out in the wild. But I would say in the confines of a vehicle, that seems like the prime case for a voice interface. And you could just say, hey, Lucid, are headlights on or are my headlights on or, you know, get, getting into the Night Rider thing. Um, why can't you have like an Alexa or a Siri built into your car? And that's how you, you know, because it seems like you're driving. You can keep your hands on the road. You're looking ahead uh, before you get to autonomy, obviously. And you could just say, like, uh, turn the temperature up, like warm up the vehicle. Like that seems like the perfect use case for 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 that. And they do talk about all the beam canceling microphones or whatever they've got. But, um, yeah, I I would say having some sort of uh, intelligent car assistant would be a really powerful feature. Yeah, they talked about that. And they um, I think they are definitely going they, they understand the problem because uh, the head of design at the presentation said, you know, most car voice interfaces are terrible. We've all used them and we end up using our phones and hunting for things. So we're trying to make the, uh, the Alexa or Siri for the car be high quality. And I've just enabled my own uh, here <laughs> inadvertently. And I apologize to others whom I just turned on. Perfect um, demo. Perfect demo. Um, and so they're going to have some voice commands in the, in the vehicle. And they want it to be natural language. And as you just alluded to, they have 12 beam-forming microphones around the car. So that it should be able to hear you really well, which is awesome. Uh, the device, which shall not be named, I think has three beam forming microphones, which essentially is trying to uh, listen to you in multi, multi-dimensional space instead of just one microphone. And then apparently they also have 29 speakers throughout the car with active noise canceling uh, to remove uh, sort of wind noise and, and road, road noise. I mean, at that point, why not just say we have a lot of speakers? I mean, what does that even mean to anyone, 29 speakers? I don't know. It's, it's, there's more than four <laughs> Like, is that quantifiably better than 25 speaker system? Like, it, it just, it's ridiculous at that point. Yeah, I've, it, it's a lot. And also, they're not going to, the thing I most appreciated about that, that they harped on was that there's no grills. They're all seamlessly integrated. Uh, and I hate it when I get into a car and you see the, and they, they pointed it out, like all those boombox style plastic speaker covers and Mercedes is the worst about this. Now they, they make them all aluminum and they really call out where all these speakers are. 
So you're not going to want a Kia Soul that has the the speaker grills that bounce with the music. No. There's lights in them. <laughs> I don't want to see the, the I don't want to see the speakers. I want them all <laughs> hidden behind the fabric. And so apparently in the air they're they're not visible. Um, and they've got like four. Um, so so I, I'm not sure how they'll pull this off because if Google and Amazon uh, and others are having an Apple are having a tough time making a natural language interface. Uh, I, I'm not convinced that Lucid is going to be able to create a better natural language interface. Um, they the domain is with someone. I mean, yeah, hopefully they do. The domain is smaller for sure uh, than than everything you could ever want to ask a personal assistant. But right. hopefully, this is just the direction things are going. And I hope Tesla uh, does something in this area too, because they do have voice commands. But I I think all of them could be better and actively listening. So. I'd be very surprised if Amazon didn't uh, come out with some sort of Alexa for autos thing because... I think they have to, yeah. Alexa would be perfect for it because, yeah, like you say, it's a very limited domain of commands and Alexa's very good at canceling out the music that's playing too, which would be the other thing you'd worry about in a car that if you're playing music, you need to be able to hear. And Alexa's very good at, at doing that. So, yeah, it seems like a, an excellent use case. Um, apparently, it does have a frunk. Um, so it's got a, a space in the very front, uh, but does it have a trunk? That's what we couldn't see. We couldn't see that. And, and to your point about the reclining seats, it certainly would take up a fair amount of that space. Um, and apparently even like my box and others have pretty small, um, trunks because they either have fr- uh, refrigerators for like wine and things in there. <laughs> Naturally. Yeah. And well, you have reclining. to fit your golf clubs in somewhere though, right? Yeah. Not sure what they're going to do that, do for that. Um, they've got, one of the other things I noticed was that, um, the, in the rear, the uh, the fan for the rear passengers is in the B pillar, so it's a little bit higher than most. Like most, a lot of times, it's in that center console mm-hmm. uh, above the transmission, but in the the air, it looks like it's on the side. It was also interesting that they seem to have a center transmission hump going through the whole thing. Yeah, I, I don't. I'm not sure why they. It was so visible there, um, especially in the the one like you said, the one without the back bench. It was a two plus two, so it was just a giant center thing dividing it in like four bucket seats. Yeah. One of the other things that was interesting is they had um, LED lighting in some of the videos on the interior. Um, and, and folks like Mercedes and Lexus and others have high-end interior lighting for nighttime. Um, but these were actually multicolor, so you could change the color. Um, oh, so, another, another Alexa integration point, because if it's just like a Philips Hue, you can just have it hook it up to your Alexa. You could have it, you know, matching the color of the TV you're watching in the rear of the car while someone's driving you. So, um, and uh, yeah, those are just a couple of the other details. I think the interior looks really smart. I like the materials. It looks like they're going to have four packages um, and they're, they're all sort of named and they've got different seat colors and uh, yeah. different interior wood materials. So I thought those looked pretty smart. I think they're, the one's called like Mojave at Midnight, which is sort of their dark one. Santa Monica, which is sort of their light interior, Santa Cruz, which is going to be their more bright interior, and then Tahoe, which I bet is going to be their dark brown. Um, so inspired from California locations, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, I thought the overall the interior did look look nice, and and even are we though we are ragging on like the vast number of screens, it actually didn't look terrible. Like it, it didn't look like ridiculous, um, even though I think it's excessive. Yeah, I think it looks quite sharp. Um, it doesn't look. Well, certainly there's not nearly as many buttons as you would expect in current modern luxury cars. I mean, luxury cars are the worst. They have the most, I mean, Porsche Caymans and Porsches have so many buttons. So I'm certainly a fan of the reduction of the buttons. And if the next step we take is lots of screens, 
to get through not needing all the screens. That's good. Oh, but um, with screens, they can put infinite buttons. Yeah, they can put infinite buttons, but their default view is not showing you all those buttons and there's not dust in all the buttons and all the little silk screened icons that are inscrutable are not being are, are you seriously off. doubting their car makers abilities to make awful screen uis no i, I know they can but I, I think uh that's true that's a good point because the i think the lucid uis we saw i think they look quite sharp and if those actually come to production i think they would best anyone even tesla from a uh visual design point of view yeah um the typography the color schemes uh the layout i thought looks better than the tesla i would i would prefer their uh, visual design for their interfaces over what Tesla has done. Yeah, yeah, it was nice. Um, what yeah, about I the exterior? I was going to say, the, only, the other thing is the, uh, I had two comments about the exterior. Um, the door handles were kind of interesting. because Very they, Tesla-esque. They look like they were going to be Tesla, but when you push them, they, it's just basically a push button. It's a giant, it's a giant push button. Yeah, they move a little bit. Um, which I thought was kind of weird. It's like um, a hybrid between the Model S and the X, because they, they do push in a little bit but they also look like they're somewhat capacitive, but they don't pop out like the X. Or yeah, the S, yeah, which I mean, if it's going to be capacitive, why not just make the whole door touchable? So you just yeah. touch the door and it opens. Um, but Or proximity or I don't know. Anyways, it, it seemed a little bit weird where it was like a, sort of a skeuomorphic door handle where it, it kind of looked like one, but it wasn't. Um, and I thought that was interesting. And then I just thought the branding was a little over the top. And I don't know, maybe this was just because it was a, like a demo vehicle. But it had like every side of it said Lucid. The back in big letters over the 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 mono brake light um, said Lucid. And then on the nose of the vehicle, in like there was a big chrome strip going, and then like a glowing white LED Lucid, which just it just seemed a little bit tacky. Like I, I felt like the that that devalued the vehicle to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the exterior. I'm. I think it looks sharp. I think it looks good. Um... It's definitely a more aggressive, um, heavy-looking car yeah. than the S. Um, I think it has a, a much more aggressive stance than uh, a swooping, curvy look. It's definitely more angular. The, uh, the, the interesting thing is even though they've pushed the wheels to front to back and have a relatively smaller hood um, and relatively small trunk area, uh, the proportions looked pretty good. So I thought that they did a really good job of, of if it's true that the interior is as, as spacious as they say, um, it doesn't look like a Franken car like the um, uh, i3 does or even the, even the Bolt, I think, had this sort of characteristic where the exterior uh, was not as big as you'd expect for the interior volume. But in that size, actual size, it's harder to make those proportions look good. So I think they did a good job there. It almost looked a little bit like how, um, when you see a Bentley where it yeah. just looks it looks thicker than a regular vehicle yeah i think the belt line like where the the glass starts is higher uh, a little bit like a 300 like a chrysler 300 yeah. um inspiration and, and in the rear i instantly was like oh that looks like a lincoln and then i posted a photo to you and you're like oh yeah the the rear light is a, a singular uh band of light and uh it's clearly very much inspired by or at least similar to what lincoln has done with a singular red um rear trunk light all it was missing was matthew mcconaughey sitting next to it doing a weird ad yeah so i think that the interior of this if if the new tesla model s came out with this interior i think a lot of people would be very excited so i think that they've done a great job there um and i think the exterior is is good i don't think it will cause anyone any 
problems if they were to purchase this car. It does look slightly futuristic as well, um, which I think is, um, but not not in a funky way. Um, so the car is planning to come out in 2019. So they still have a little bit of time for people to uh, other auto trends to sort of adopt to this more um, streamlined look. It doesn't have as many cut-ins in the panels, for instance, as sort of the modern cars do. It's definitely a little bit more smooth. Uh, which they said they hope will help it age by not having as crazy um, cut-ins. Like the new Prius is a perfect example of oh, crazy God. cut-ins. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah. I, I thought it, it looked good, and like I say, I, I, I did. I, I do think it was a little overbranded, but I tend to be more in the Muji side of things, where I would prefer like zero branding. So that's that might be just me. Um, but otherwise, yeah, I thought I thought the whole thing actually did look pretty good. Um, I do think that with the with it being that far out and having nothing, not even a factory, not even having broken ground on the factory, I think this essentially was basically like a Kickstarter. Like <laughs> this kind of felt like a Kickstarter for a car where it's like, you know, here's our prototype. We've got a couple of them and this is what we want to do. And, you know, sign up and get your reward. That's a little bit what it felt like. Yeah. And I mean, they're taking reservations. Uh, you can put down a deposit and um it's obviously a different world now that Tesla is out there. I mean, if you're in the market for a hundred thousand dollar sub three seconds, zero to sixty, five person, six person sedan, you have an option that's electric now, where when the Tesla Model S was coming out, you didn't. And so for many of the enthusiasts who are really trying to buy into the electric lifestyle, um, that energy is already being siphoned up by Tesla. So the question is, what is the marginal amount of people who are willing to get an even more premium version of what Tesla has been offering with Lucid? And is that a large enough market? Um, you know, there's around 120,000 of this class of vehicle sold in the U.S. Um, each year. Tesla has around 30% of that market right now, if you count the Model S as a competitor to the S-Class and 7 Series. Certainly is in price, not quite in size. Um, so they, they would need to, you know, if they got uh, 10% of that market, uh, they would be at uh, just around uh, 10,000 cars a year, which is not where they really want to be. They want to be at like 20,000 at least. So they, they would need to get 20% of the market of this market um, pretty quickly to be viable. So they obviously yeah. have planned other cars and crossovers, but um, I do think it will be tricky, but certainly... I do think there are people who, if you're buying an A7 or a Lexus LS or a Porsche Panamera, you might consider this car and it will now be, you know, potentially the second best option to a Tesla. And for some people better than a Tesla, uh, especially if you have that much disposable income to test out a new car, uh, you know, a new car maker. So I think that's also one of the reasons why making a luxury car to begin with, both from a lower volume, higher profit margin higher absolute profit per vehicle, which gives you more margin in case you mess up your manufacturing and something gets really expensive. You still have enough absolute dollars available per car. Um, you don't need as big a factory to produce them. Um, and you can have a smaller service footprint, a smaller uh, store footprint, and you have just fewer absolute number of customers out there, which you need to identify uh, to convince them and show them your car. Um, so all of the factors that make the luxury market easier to tap into, um, I think they're clearly following in Tesla's footprint, much to the chagrin of people who are like, why don't you just make a $30,000 car? Um, even if it was technically possible, it still seems to be the correct business strategy 
to go after the higher market for all of those reasons. Yeah, sounds good. All right. Well, uh, any closing thoughts there, Mike? No, no, I totally agree. I think, uh, you know, the, the first mover advantage was, has been taken away. And at this point, any new electric vehicle companies are going to have to differentiate themselves and kind of explain their reason for existence. Um, this one, yeah, the Lucid definitely seems to be going towards more of the luxury side of things, the business class seating and, and all of that stuff. So that seems to be what they're, what they're banking on. Yeah, and I think one of the other things is a lot of the folks who've decided to step up to a Tesla Model S, maybe when they had never purchased a car that expensive before, um, the Model 3 will be out by the time this vehicle launches, and potentially even the Model Y. And so it will very clearly be just for that segment of people who are paying $100,000 for a luxury sedan. And uh, it's possible that that market continues to dwindle due to ride-sharing and self-driving. Um, and so it's going to be tough. I, 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 I'm hoping they're successful. I hope Tesla borrows some of the ideas they've shown off. Um, I think it points out that the Model S is not nearly as refined of a electric vehicle as potentially this vehicle is. Now, the Model S, who knows where it will be in two years. So we may see some pretty big advancements in two years when it actually launches. Tesla wouldn't, Tesla wouldn't show it off yet because they don't want to Osborne affect themselves by <laughs> killing sales. Yeah, and well, and on the flip side, too, who knows where this will be when it actually, actually goes through the process of being productionized, right? That, like, too. Yeah, what can you manufacture it might be different than what you can demo. Yeah, so I, I wish them good luck. I think uh, if I were a betting man, I would bet that their car will come out. Uh, I have higher chance, a higher expectation that their vehicle will launch uh, over a Faraday future. <laughs> um, they seem to have a more reasonable sensibility around what they're doing, um, uh, and seems to have less drama around the company, um, less hype as well. But, um, I, I, I wish them good luck. I don't think there's any problem with, if you really expect that all cars will be electric, then this is the time when you would expect there to be new car companies created that are electric and that some of the existing car companies may uh, not make it through the transition. Uh, yeah. And so we expect there have to be some new car companies. And I don't think this will be the last one uh, that we'll talk about uh, oh, in the future. We're, we're going to need all electric vehicles so we can drive through all the tunnels that are going to be built. That's true. We, the, the boring company is, is alive and, and getting going. So maybe that'll be a future episode. But next week, we will most likely be talking about the earnings call unless some force majeure event happens. Very exciting. All right. Where can people uh, follow up with us about the uh, Lucid and oh, right. uh, yeah, the yeah. Air? Um, yeah, you can reach us at uh, our website, theteslashow.com. You can reach us on twitter.com at our screen name, at the Tesla Show, or on our subreddit on reddit.com at r slash the Tesla Show. And, uh, oh, I also should point out, Caleb, this was our, our first episode with a guest. Did you mm -hmm. notice we had Alexa jump in? That's true. That's our, our first non-Mike and Caleb to, to appear. There may be some more in the future, too, and not just Alexa. So we've, um, we're starting to line some up. We've gotten some people who want to be on the show, so we might let them on. Wow. They've got this some good stuff. Is, that sounds exciting. Yeah. All, All right. right. Talk to you later, Mike. Bye.